You're listening to the Co-op Book Podcast. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Alexandra Joel to the Co-op Podcast. Hello, Alexandra. Hi, Rob. It's good to be here. Now, we're here to talk about your epic book, Rosetta, A Scandalous True Story. Who is Rosetta to you? Rosetta is my mysterious great-grandmother. I knew nothing about her when I grew up. But what I discovered was that she was married as a girl at 18. Nine months later, she had a child. So if you picture a woman in the early 1900s in Melbourne, respectable married woman, husband well-off, five-year-old child and then she meets a man called Zeno the Magnificent and she runs away with him. Absolute scandal and it's well firstly what was it like growing up with this I mean literally a skeleton in the closet? Well this is the funny thing because of course we knew nothing about it because My great-grandmother went on to have this extraordinary, glamorous life in London and Europe where she mixed with royalty and dukes and duchesses and lords and ladies. But she never saw her child again. And that child was my grandmother. So all my grandmother said was, and it was very poignant and very sad, my mother didn't want me. She ran away and left me. So when I grew up, I didn't even know my great-grandmother's name, and neither did my mother. It was never spoken. And as there was no contact, my grandmother knew nothing about it. But when my grandmother died, there was her mother's name on the death certificate. And my dad, who'd begun his newspaper career as a 14-year-old copy boy, decided, I'm going to track this story down. So he was the one that began the hunt to find the mysterious Rosetta. Now, we'll talk more about Rosetta's journeys, but, you know, you've had a very interesting career that, you know, more recently has focused in sort of psychotherapy and uh, Mm. as, uh, you know, helping people through issues. Do you think any of this sort of trauma of your grandmother sort of transferred across generations? I do. I definitely believe that there's a cascading effect. Um, I certainly saw it in my grandmother because to live with the knowledge that you are an abandoned child is a very grave burden. And certainly I believe the effects of that was passed on to my mother and no doubt in some ways to me. But on the other hand, I feel without having been a psychotherapist, I could never have written this book. Well, and I think that's one of the interesting things in the format of the book that you sort of, it's juxtaposed between, you know, the present as in the past and then with your reaction to what's going on now and, you know, searching through the discovery. So was that on purpose? You're writing sort of this split narrative? Yes, it was. Um, For a long time, I thought about writing this book. And I was very conflicted because once I started to find out about her extraordinary life, 
I couldn't help but fall for her. She was so beautiful, so glamorous, so daring, so fabulous. On the other hand, I couldn't get past the question, how could you leave your child? And in the end, I guess I had to draw on my training and practice as a psychotherapist. And when you're a psychotherapist, you don't judge. People are neither wonderful nor terrible. What they are is very, very interesting. Absolutely. So what what do you think drove your great-grandmother to leave as a you know, a 23-year-old, I think she was, when she left her daughter and left the country. What, what, what do you think drove her? I think one has to put oneself in a different time frame to understand it. So here is a woman, beautiful, passionate, intelligent, spirited, but she's trapped in provincial Melbourne. She's married off at 18. Queen Victoria is still on the throne. She has a child nine months after her wedding night. By this time, you know, a few years have passed and I can imagine that she feels, is this all it is? My life will never change. I'm stuck here. I'm trapped. My life has no meaning. It's not going anywhere. And one day she goes to Swanston Street and a man reads her palm. And he says to her, you can be whoever you want to be. Run away with me. It was clearly irresistible. And the extraordinary thing about this story is, it was true. And that, that, that is, I mean, it's, it's a great read. Like, I highly recommend it. Like, it's very fast moving and very, you know, a lot of detail. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed was you represent both Sydney and Melbourne in a way that I have never seen, um, you know, in the early part of the last century. Tell me about Wonderland as in, in Sydney. Tamarama Beach, a place I've swum at many times. I didn't know there was a whole fun park there. I'd love to tell you about that. What I will say first, and you've touched on a very interesting point, it occurs to me that so much of Australian writing is based in the country, particularly historically. You know, it's about the country, it's about the outback, and so little is written about the life of the town, about urban life. And extraordinary things were happening in Sydney and Melbourne, and it's really fascinating to me that you've never heard of Wonderland because there are all kinds of fabulous stories out there waiting to be told. Wonderland City was a wild and dangerous and exciting amusement park It was situated right on the beach at Tamarama. Uh, The beach, the sand, the grass, the cliffs. It was filled with exciting rides. Hot air balloons would take off. An airship was strung across the cliffs. There was the Palace of Illusions where all kinds of shows took place. There were lions and tigers. There was an elephant on the beach. I love that because it's her name was Alice, as in Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And that is where my great-grandparents went because, of course, Zeno the Magnificent, as he called himself, read palms and saw into the future and performed illusions. But apart from that, you know, down on the beach, 
they would do reenactments of Ned Kelly's Last Stand. They had buildings burning down. I mean, this was life writ large. It, it, it sounds, I mean, like an amazing place and, uh, you know, it, it was great to be there. It was great to see, you know, your present represented in a past that you can't, you, you're struggling to reconcile with. Um, tell me a bit about the research. I mean, you, you talk about it in the book, but how was that for you to actually go down this path of discovery of your background? A very interesting experience. Um, as I mentioned before, it was begun by my father, who um, was helped by a very good genealogist, and he discovered a certain amount, and he recognised that there was a book there. And one day he came into me and he said, your great-grandmother's life was incredible. There's a book here. I can't write it, but you can. And I guess I sort of some years later took up the challenge. I looked at this research and I thought, no, I need more. The first thing that I did was I decided I had to go to every place that I could turn up, that she had lived, that Zeno had lived, that this extraordinary life had taken place. So first of all, I went down to Melbourne and it was quite a strange feeling to stand in the street and look at the same building and know my God, that's where Rosetta had her fortune told. That's where the seduction took place. Right to the other side of the world, where I journeyed to the south of France, to an incredible villa, which is now owned by a reclusive American billionaire, which I was able to talk my way into. That's a whole story in itself. Where, of course, she would stay with Baroness Stern, and took tea with Empress Eugenie, the widow of Napoleon III, who lived just two doors away. And when I was in the south of France, people kept saying, what do you mean you're going to the Riviera? I'd go, oh no, it's research for my book. But when I was there, I would look at these magnificent portraits of Empress Eugenie in the museums, and I would think about my great-grandmother, who herself was the granddaughter of a convict, and thought, how did you do this? How did you pull this off? Well, I think there's a lot of irony in there because you uh, talked your way into a billionaire's estate, you know, following up your great-grandmother who talked her way through many things, I imagine, to get in the situations that she got into. Well, in many ways, um, this is a story of invention and reinvention. And I think it's a very... There are aspects of this which make it very Australian. I've spoken about the life of the towns, but... One has to remember, Rosetta's grandfather was a convict. He was convicted when he was only 16 years old. It was the usual, you know, couple of sovereigns in Whitechapel. But after he'd served his time, he went on to become a very established businessman. He had a shipping company. He dealt in coal and wood. And extraordinarily for a former convict, he became an alderman and a justice of the peace. Now, if that's not a reinvention, I don't know what is. And that is so much in Australia's past, not only from our convicts, but we've all come from somewhere else. And in a sense, we're all invented. Australia is an invented country. And it seems only natural, when you look at it in that way, that Rosetta should reinvent herself, as indeed Zeno, because Zeno was the son 
of a Chinese immigrant to the goldfields from Canton. But when they took off to go to London, he realised being the son of a Chinese immigrant wasn't very smart. So he decided that he would be a Japanese professor of medicine. And that's what he passed himself off as. And Rosetta thought, hmm, they're not very keen on colonials from Australia. So she decided it would be rather smart to be American. And everybody fell for it. What about Zeno and his background? Did you find out a bit more about him, sort of, and his family background and his, you know, what what his family thought about what was going on? I wasn't able to discover that. Um, I certainly did... Um, I was able to access the records of his parents' marriages, his various brothers and sisters, but quite what they thought of it is lost in the mist of time. But I guess the other aspect that makes it a very Australian story is that it's the ultimate multicultural story. And as um, readers will find out, without going into too much detail, they did form a very close liaison with in, um, in Britain, and she followed them back here with the granddaughter of the Earl of Shaftesbury. And they have been referred to as the ultimate menage aux trois. So we have these three characters, Rosetta, the Australian-born granddaughter of a Jewish convict, Zeno, the son of a Chinese from Canton, and Lillian, the British aristocratic daughter and granddaughter of the Earl of Shaftesbury and Edwina Mountbatten's aunt. What a melange of race and class and religion and place is that? Uh, it's, it's such a uh, vibrant multifaceted story on, on so many levels. Now, your background is journalism, psychotherapy, we mentioned. What was the university like for you? At university, um, I was always interested in the media and in writing. Um, when I first I'd, so I enrolled in an arts degree, I lasted one month doing English, and I thought, this is not for me. I, I found it quite challenging to have English handed down en masse in what was then the giant Wallace Lecture Theatre. Mm-hmm. I went on to do an honours degree um, in the School of Government under the wonderful Professor Henry Mayer, and he had what was then an incredibly novel degree because it was in media. Not It wasn't like media and communications as they have today. It was, within, it was studying media within a political infrastructure. But that's what I did my honours degree. In fact, I did the thesis on the introduction of FM radio into Australia. So my first career was in media. Um, I both worked on the um, side of interfacing with government and also in terms of producing. I became a writer and then an editor. Um, It came a point, though, where I wanted to go more deeply into the understanding of, I guess, my fellow men and women. And I wanted to be in a position, hopefully, to contribute. So I went back and I did a graduate diploma in applied psychology. And a lot of people said to me, 
gosh, that's really a jump from journalism to being a psychotherapist. But when you think about it, you're still in a room with someone asking them questions, trying to understand what makes them tick. Final question. You get five minutes to meet your grandmother, your great-grandmother, Rosetta. What would you say to her? Oh, my goodness. Um, I suppose I would have a whole series of questions. And the first question would be, did you have any regrets? Well, unlike me, no regrets because it's been wonderful talking to you, Alexandra. And for anyone that hasn't had a chance to grab a copy of Rosetta, it's a co-op bookstore available online. It's a great read. It's actually just, it's a, it's a very compelling, not put the, you know, page-turning kind of book. So I highly recommend it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure.